This edition of Monocle on Sunday was first broadcast on the 8th of May 2022 at 10am CET. Monocle on Sunday, in association with Heston's. John Lee has been named the new leader of Hong Kong. A closed voting process took place in which he was the sole candidate. A loyal Beijing supporter, Mr Lee oversaw the violent crackdowns on pro-democracy protests in 2019. Mr Lee replaces the outgoing chief executive, Carrie Lam. The final citizens to be evacuated from the besieged Azovstal steelworks in Mariupol have now left. The elderly, women and children have been taken to safety, although it's not clear where. Ukrainian forces are still battling to keep control of the plant, the last part of the city not under Russian control. The former Brazilian leader Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva has launched his re-election campaign. He's called on Brazilians to support him in defending the country's democracy from the far-right president Jair Bolsonaro. Lula led the country for seven years from 2003, but was later convicted of corruption and jailed before having the judgment overturned last year. And more than 500 kilos of cocaine have been found in a shipment of coffee beans delivered to an espresso plant in Switzerland. Workers at the plant in Fribourg alerted authorities to a mysterious white powder found in sacks of coffee beans. Staff at the coffee capsule maker owned by Nestle found an undetermined white substance when they unloaded the freshly delivered sacks of coffee. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. Now, I'm delighted to say it's time to cross to Tokyo, where we can join our editorial director, Tyler Brule, for a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday. Konnichiwa, Tyler. Konnichiwa, Emma. Good morning. A a very good morning, a very good afternoon to you. Are you fired up on beautiful Japanese coffee, ready for an hour hour of fun? Everyone is speeding here. Before (laughs) we went in the studio, we were just around the corner, so everyone is uh, absolutely raring to go. We have a slightly breezy uh, Sunday uh, early evening here in Tokyo, but it was absolutely it was a glorious day. Temperatures dropping uh, a little bit, but it's uh, it's been an absolute delight. I'm uh, 24 hours into it, my my return moment. There's a ton, there's a tone in your voice that suggests that you're rather happy to be there. Is that right? Yeah, I think you, you, you could say that. And uh, we'll, of course, be recapping uh, many things, not just over the last 24 hours, but the last 26 months, Emma, can you believe it? That's, that was the last time I was, I was here. Well, we look forward to it. I'll be back in a little while, but uh, let's find out more from your tiny studio in Tokyo. Indeed. Monocle on Sunday starts right now. Good morning and good afternoon. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. We're live in Tokyo today, finally, and I'm very happy to say I'm joined by our Asia editor, our Tokyo bureau chief. Fiona Wilson uh, is here finally together again. It's been about a good seven months since you were in Zurich. Tell us what's going on. We have a lot to explore over the next hour. We do. Great to be in the same room for once. So much to discuss, tourism, work-life balance, and very interested to hear your take on what's changed in the last two years. Yeah, there's going to be a lot on that because I've been doing a real deep dive already uh, this morning. We're also going to be joined by Melanie Brock, a bit of a political and economic uh, advisor, and also Masayuki Kinoshita of Trunk Hotels. And we're going to be crossing over to London, of course, to hear from our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. It's the 8th of May, 2022, live from Tokyo. This is Monocle on Sunday. 
And good afternoon and good morning, uh, wherever you are in the world. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Uh, as you heard, of course, uh, in the intro, Fiona Wilson uh, is here as well. Also, Melanie Brock. Uh, very, very happy to see you. We were trying to also figure it out uh, just in the lead into the program uh, when we saw all of you last week. Actually, Melanie, I'll, I'll start with you. Wonderful seeing you here. It's lovely to have you back in town. It really is. Now, last time I saw you, uh, you were in, we were, we were in the mountains, we were in Switzerland. You were heading back back, I think, to this side of the world. And, and that was some 26, 20, 27 months ago. Yeah. And I think I said to you, I'll see you in Tokyo. And we've had to wait for this long. I know. So it seems very unfair, doesn't it? Well, it was funny because, Fiona, we caught up uh, yesterday. You were the first person, not, not quite the first person. I saw many hundreds of people <laughs> when I arrived because we'll, we'll go into the arrival procedures and talk a little bit about this. But I said there was a sense of time travel. And, and this has been the interesting thing, because on one side, it feels very much like when I first came to Japan 25, well, almost 30 years ago, uh, that there was a sense of, of having the city to yourself right now because you don't, you just don't see tourists. Uh, you know, again, the last time I was here, it was already maybe slowing down a little bit. But, you know, of course, you know, if you th look back over four or five years ago, everyone from Europe, everyone from North America, Brazilians, you know, all, all of China was here, it seems. And it's so you kind of got the place to yourself a bit. Yeah, that's been a bit of a shock, hasn't it? I think, I mean, I looked at the numbers, 2019, there were 32 million visitors to Japan. So you can imagine Japan minus 32 million visitors has been quite a different place. And uh, I think a lot of people who live here, mixed feelings, you know, it's been lovely to have places like Kyoto um, back to the way they used to be. Um, but of course, a bit tough for the any anyone running a hospitality business. No, indeed. And we're going to be talking uh, to someone who's running a favorite hotel and a property, of course, that we featured many times in the magazine. They're celebrating their fifth anniversary uh, this week. So we'll be catching up a little bit about that. But maybe to both of you, that sense of having this place back to yourself and, and maybe, Melanie, from your side, you've been in this country for a very long time. What's the real sentiment? What do you hear from the Japanese? Of course, they, they want tourism back and, and you can see it, it's certainly impacting the place. But is there something in the background as well, which is uh, maybe not too fast? Well, I've recently moved to a suburb uh, quite close to Ginza, and everybody looks very, very happy with the current state of affairs. It's gentle, it's quiet, you know, there aren't many tour buses and the like. But I think it's what you said, it's that fleeting feeling of, I'm liking it, but what does it actually mean? I mean, people realise that tourists have to come back. There has been some discussion about what does the tourists look like? Are they more of an eco-tourism uh, offering or is it a sustainable, whatever that might mean? But, you know, I think it's probably just been time for people to have a little bit of a moment. Having said that, Japanese people haven't really ventured out much either. And this Golden Week, which we're finishing up today, which has been lovely, that's probably the first time a lot of people have actually said to themselves, OK, we'll go and see Grandma or we'll pop down to Kyoto or we'll go to Okinawa and the like. So it's sort of, I think people realise that life as we know it today is coming to an end uh, and they understand why, but they might just want to savour it that little bit more. Mm. And maybe we'll talk about what reopening is going to look like. But from your side as well, uh, Fiona, again, a long-time resident uh, here, when you speak to Japanese friends and, and colleagues, do you get that same sense as well that uh, this could go on for another quarter? It might be, might be just all right. Yeah, honestly, I think Melanie's spot on. Absolutely. That's definitely the the feeling I've, get, I've got to being out and about. You definitely hear people saying, it's been quite nice that it's been so quiet. Um, you know, I have been out and about a bit trying to do stories and it's been interesting. It's been quite difficult because coming from Tokyo, certainly last year, people were a bit wary of anyone coming from Tokyo. Um, they were quite happy not only to be left alone by visitors from overseas, but people from the big smoke as well. So I think really, you know, 
rural areas, they've had it really to themselves. So it is going to be a big change when tourism kicks off again. Uh, maybe we should, uh, before we go to London and, uh, and catch up with Andrew Tuck, our, our editor-in-chief, of course, uh, normally at about, uh, yeah, maybe at the top of the program, nine, nine, ten minutes in, Andrew always makes uh, an appearance. But uh, maybe just to do a spin around the region, uh, a little bit of an APAC tour. Uh, of course, people can tell by your accent, not you know, not native of, of can Japan. Can you tell? Yeah, I don't know if anyone can tell where you might be from. <laughs> Born and raised in Albany, Western Australia, and ask yourself where that is. Where is it? There you go. See, one of the most beautiful spots. All my family are there this weekend. But no, I'm from the southwest of Western Australia, which is about as far away from here as you can get. At the uh, moment, if uh, if we were uh, to maybe look at the front pages of the Sydney Morning Herald or the Age uh, today, what's what's the discussion? What's happening uh, in Australia right it's now? It's all politics, and sometimes not just politics. I think it's all people. Um, mainly, it's the Australian election is on the twenty first of May, so it's all about uh, the Prime Minister and the opposition leader, um, and of course, at the moment, probably inflation, cost of living. Um, recent in- interest rate hike, you know, you name it, the same things that are sort of worrying people all around the world. Um, but it's all about that particular election. So two weeks to go. And there's a debate tonight. And if if we just focus on the last two years as well, because of course, mm. you know, there were, this was you know a, a real flashpoint, Australia, you know, constantly in the news. And, and maybe it wasn't always on Canberra's shoulders. I mean, obviously, a lot of the policy out of Canberra informed what was happening in, in Melbourne and other state capitals. But, you know, if we looked, you know, and I would say from whether you were sitting in London or you were sitting in Switzerland or wherever, wherever we might have been, Melbourne popped up time again as the world's most locked down city, etc. So from a, a brand Australia point of view, it seems like there's a lot of work to be done. I think the Australians felt at one point frustrated, then they felt pleased with themselves, and they were frustrated again. And how much is that going to play out, do you think? In yeah, this? when I was home last year, and after I'd done the two weeks trapped, literally trapped um, in that quarantine, which is quite different to quarantine that you did, that we did in Japan when you returned, there was a sense of smugness, actually, which was quite unattractive, um, <laughs> because people were sort of saying, oh, well, you know, you know, you should head back to Japan because you've probably got the dreaded virus and what have you and all that nonsense that went on. And then I think people were quite proud of their zero cases strategy. And then they realised it wasn't sustainable. And then they didn't know where to go with that. And then this year I went home again and I went to Sydney where it was a little bit and they described it as the let it rip strategy. So you can imagine uh, what that looked like. Um, Melbourne felt very much sort of sort of PTSD in many cases. You know, I felt people were really a bit wounded by what they sort of went through in their own words. And then I tried to get into Western Australia and we were the last place to get into after Japan. And I arrived uh, to go to my parents' 60th wedding anniversary, which of course we missed, a delayed and belated version. And I think I counted 11 police at the airport when you arrive. And it's just astounding to, to see that compared to Japan's management of the virus, which has been very, very different and so much more uh, driven by sort of what people, not expectation, but just I didn't see 11, 12, 13 police at the airport when I arrived, um, you know, back in Japan. So Australia was very much enforcement, fines. And here it's about guidance. It here is, it's about guidance. And it's typical. And expectation. Societal pe- peer yeah. pressure peer pressure, what people think of you. Even the mask issue, you know, they constantly talking on the telly about, well, you know, how many of you would give up masks if you could? 
oh, well, you know, 80% say no because next door lady is still wearing one. Exactly. So I shouldn't be the first to go. But, you know, people say maybe the Prime Minister needs to take the leadership and if the elections are on the 10th of July, as we expect, maybe on the 11th he'll appear without a mask. Well, let's see. Uh, over to London now. Uh, Andrew Tuck uh, is there, our editor-in-chief. Uh, Andrew, you've heard what's happening in Australia and a little flavour of uh, Japan this morning, but uh, how are things in London? Uh, all good. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fascinating listening to it. You know, I think you're here in Europe. You know, we, we thought we had long COVID when it took like 18 months to get people back out to work. And you know, uh, do you see one or two people now wearing a mask? And I think the trouble is that when you've gone, as Japan has gone, and many Asian countries have, have languished so long under these conditions, that the, the way back is just difficult. You know, and, it, and it's great that you know, countries you know, are proud that they don't have any tourists and they're not making any revenue and the hotels are empty. Is that really sustainable? And I think here, there's been a sh I think people have got back to it pretty quickly. I've, you know, I've traveled around in, into Berlin this week. And literally the only time you ever come now across anything, any discussion of coronavirus, I don't, I don't think you even saw any hand sanitizer anywhere, was on the, is on the actual flight. So in Berlin airport, nothing. In London airport, nothing. Uh, and I think it's going to be difficult for the, lots of Asian countries to get their snap back. It sounds very difficult, obviously, for Japan, but uh, you, you hope that people kind of come out of it. Andrew, uh, Melanie has has a has has a comment on that one. And listen, just before that, I have I found it, you know, the part two of the time travel has been, you know, you know, UK sort of well just into the new year, masks you know went away. Of course, cases went up. It was a bit of a probably let it rip strategy as well. And then we saw this, you know, same in Switzerland. It was a couple of weeks later, two weeks later, the same thing. So. That's been, I think, the strange thing in this connected world. Then you come to a leading economy, and it is quite out of out of step. And I I believe there is something psychological. Something happens when that mask goes away. And I, the one, just the one thing that I thought, which is strange, and it's like, and you know, it's part of the traditional. Everyone and gathered in this little studio where we are as well, is that late night moment uh, of just going to Sutaya in Daikanyama at one o'clock in the morning. And Andrew, it was closed at 10. And I found the streets worryingly empty still. So I think this is, I think there is, you absolutely have a, have a point there because the city is known for its nighttime economy. And, and but I guess when things snap back, they snap back. But Melanie, what, what's, what's your take? Well, hello, Andrew. How are you? It's nice to hear uh, your I'm voice good, too. Good to hear your voice too. Now I'm going to take issue with your use of the word languishing. Because I'm not so sure that it's languishing. I agree with Tyler's view that it's previously 1 p.m., you know, 1 a.m. closure is now maybe 10. Um, some restaurants are closing earlier or even seating people at, you know, um, nanny time type of thing. But I think, you know, in some cases it's because it's actually indicating a bigger shift that people, you know, are happy to be home. They don't uh, they're not being forced to go for com company drinks and the like. They're allowed to leave. They can go home. And so, and there's more people working from home, which is giving them flexibility to do care and all sorts of different things. And I also think that the lockdowns that we haven't had, because obviously under the constitution, Japan could not be locked down. It's been sort of a, a, a shallow, sort of like gentle, undulating sort of restriction and then guidance and then uh, view we haven't had the lockdowns or the enforcement. And so I think coming out will actually be easier because we haven't gone in, into it so deeply. So I, I have every hope 
um, you know, the regional areas of Japan need tourism to get going again, as you know. But I, I, I think you'll find that it's a bit more than the masks. But what, what will it yeah. take, though? Because because I, I know I was just going to, well, maybe you're going to ask the same question, but I, I sort of, you know, yeah, of course, surveyed the streets and went up to, uh, I was up in Koreazawa this morning, and, and we'll come back to that little trip maybe a little bit later. But just everything I was looking at, I was wondering, what what will it take? Are you going to need the PM, Fiona? Is Will there have to still be a sign? And as, as Melanie's saying, of course, it's all been guidance-based. But what will that signal be to get everyone to rally? Because obviously, if Mrs. Watanabe still has her mask on next door, and, uh, and, and, and likewise, uh, you know, with the... You know, made a family on the other side. Yeah, what what happens? Yeah, I think you're right. I think Melanie uh, mentioned this earlier. You know, maybe it's going to take the prime minister to do something like that. And I think that's true. That you know, it's so important here not to upset people and just to really try and get along with everyone. And I think already there's a discussion about removing masks. That's always the prelude to something actually happening here. So I don't think you're going to have a a day when they suddenly say no masks from today. It won't be like that. It'll be like everything that's happened here. They'll start flying a kite, putting an idea out there. And they're already saying, hey, if you go for a walk in the park, maybe you don't need to wear your mask. So already it's in the air, that discussion. And I think that's how it will go. It will gradually, gradually, um, you know, we'll see fewer people in masks outside. And then, you know, it'll, it'll move to inside as well, I think. Andrew, do you think Japan and maybe of course, some of the other uh, aligned nations uh, on, on, on this side of the world are missing a trick, though. Should there be someone who, who jumps out first and says, we're going to go and seize this? Uh, and we've seen, you know, it's been a bit halting in Singapore, but Singapore is trying. It's still not that straightforward or, or, or easy. Uh, but do you think if, if you were a policy advisor uh, that you would say, look at uh, some, someone needs to really just go for it? Well, not just particularly Japan, but you know, we spoke to uh, James in Hong Kong this week where he said they've now decided that the big change this week is that when you go running, you might not have to wear a mask. And, and I think in lots of these places, you know, we, we saw it in Europe. It's like when you become closed down for like years, you begin to change your behavior. As Melanie says, it becomes it almost becomes difficult to think about going back to old patterns and you forget why it was great to be connected and to go over the horizon and to travel and meet people and go to the office because you become very, very secure. Everyone did it in Europe. It's the same, it's the same situation. And I think it's partly best practice. You know, the, the world health organization numbers came out this week and you looked at a country like Sweden and it, it turns out that they've done incredibly well. You know, that despite no lockdowns, no mask mandates, keeping going to work, keeping all of their businesses going, they have excess death rates far less than most other European countries. And you know, certainly uh, the U UK, better, they did better than the UK. So I think this notion that you, you, you lock things down for so long that people do feel secure, they feel very safe, not, you know, as Melanie says, you know, that, you know, becoming carers and not going to the office and things. But again, you know, for many Asian countries, especially we know it's true for Japan, and Melanie will know more about this than me and Fiona. But you know, in the past when we've been in Japan, people have said to us, Look, one of the problems here is, you know, it already, it, it's, it's so safe, Japan, it's so secure in every sense that Japanese people don't really see a, a need to go abroad, to travel, to study in other countries. I wonder what that's going to be like now. Is that going to be the same times 10? And look, we work for a magazine that believes in connectivity, that believes in, in, in going to see other cultures and places and people and seeing best practice around the world. And I think sometimes lots of places have become very insular over the last two years. 
And I think it's a good point. So, Melanie, you've got uh, two boys. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I wonder, and, and of course, you know, Andrew raised the point, there was, there was a time when we launched this magazine 15 years ago, where there were there were a lot of Japanese in London, uh, and they were graphic designers, uh, and they were coming out of fashion school, and, uh, you know, they were doing various things digital, but the Japanese were out of the world. And we've seen this evaporation of, of a talent pool over the last decade and a half. And do you see that sense now of, of young graduates, you know, thinking, yeah, I'm going to go and make a go of it in New York or Los Angeles or try to get a visa to go into the UK? You know, the the whole notion that, you know, I mean, that pre-pandemic, we were seeing those numbers coming down, as you say, it's definitely been over the last decade. But I don't think, uh, you know, mum and dad have said to themselves, oh, let's pay for a degree for my son to sit in a room and to do his degree, you know, online. I think that's just absolutely, you know, that's probably pushed people back into thinking that they would wait perhaps to do their degrees or they'd go to places where they can actually participate. But the whole idea of travel at the moment overseas, at least, is so far and foreign to a lot of people's um, minds. I think that'll probably shift. But I think potentially, and you know, this is where you need patience of Job or whoever it was that had a lot of patience. Um, Things move in Japan, as you know, and they change, but they do take some time. And potentially the flexibility that we're seeing in workplace sort of, you know, management and style. And, and people aren't staying at home as much as they potentially are in in, uh, in the UK or in Australia, for example. You can't get people back into the office. But Here, you, were, you were saying before as oh, well, you were just outrageous. in Sydney saying... They don't even know if they're going to come back from the no. the, hol the holidays and reopen the shops. No, they, they, you know, th people are saying, oh, we've mandated three day a week. And pe I heard some people in the um, coffee shop as I was waiting to meet this CEO, and they were saying, I'm not going to do that. If he makes us do that, I'm going to leave. And sure, they do, because they can find jobs anywhere they like at the moment, given, given the availability of work. But I think in Japan, potentially the flexibility that some of the um, workplace practices that have changed as a result of the pandemic might in fact mean that people say, no, I am going to take two years off and finish that grad, that graduate diploma or, you know, go to a, a hotel management school in Europe or, you know, head off and try and learn what fintech is in Canada or Estonia, wherever it might be, you know. And so I think there might be flexibility that comes our way as a result of the changes that have taken place here. But Fiona, what about the flip side, which is not maybe just academic, but just to venture out into the world and, and do... Yeah, it may, you know, may, I'm not sure about what the gap your uh, setup is like here. Not not really existent, I would say. But just that that idea that yeah, go to Europe three four weeks uh, and see what's happening. Because in, and maybe just in, in parallel to this, I was talking to someone from from uh, one of the big Swiss tourism agencies this week, and they said yes, the same thing. You know, very far uh, you know ahead of the pandemic, they just said the Japanese numbers they just weren't happening um, anymore. And so as, as we've said, there was that sort of fear that the world. Terrorism, it's scary, you know, it's stinky, uh, all kinds of bad things which would scare the Japanese. Uh, I'm not saying that you're obviously, a, you know, an advisor to, to tourism agencies, but what, what will it take or where do you think the Japanese will feel comfortable going? Well, I mean, you only have to look over Golden Week. They felt very comfortable going to Hawaii. So I do think people want to get out into the world, definitely. I know... I know a few people who did go to Hawaii. I know, as Melanie's talking about, a, a young student who was dying to go to university in Germany, kept being told, not now, I'm going to stop, start, stop, stop. He's actually gone now. So it did work out in the end. But no, I think, you know, it's, it's true that it's definitely put a halt on tourism. I mean, you have to remember here that there was an advisory not to go to many places. That's, it's all quite recent. This, all this thing has been lifted. So I think 
we're definitely going to see people going mm. out and about. And it's also about the fact that when they were coming back in, now many places they're not having to quarantine. That's made a huge difference. And that's, that made a big difference for America. Once they lifted that restriction, you could just come in and out. That, that's, that's been a game changer. Andrew, Fiona mentioned Germany. You spent some time uh, in the German Hauptstadt uh, this week. Uh, you, haven't been, you haven't been to Berlin in a while. Thoughts and impressions? Of course, people read your column uh, yesterday, which is very much focused on, uh, of course, a session that you were hosting. But, uh, but what, did you, yeah, what did you glean from uh, the, the Federal Republic? Well, you know, it, it was nice being back in, in Berlin. And, you know, it, it's funny because that city is still patching itself together in, in many ways. And then again, it's like, you know, you know we know the neighborhood of Mitte, which was near where I was staying. And um, I took a couple of hours off to just to wander around. And I, I know that people who are Berliners say, oh, God, it's changed so much. It's so kind of like touristy now. But I thought it was great. It was just like great wandering through the city. And, and one of the things, because we're doing the quality of life survey at the moment, looking at all the cities around the world, Something that struck me about Berlin is is how playful it is for kids. It's like every neighbourhood has a, a little park, a swing, a, a recreational ground. The courtyard of every apartment block seems to have a space for kids to play. It's kind of a really good city for for families, oddly. And I and I don't know this. It it just had a good buzz. You know, it's always helpful when the, the, the sun is out and, and and people are looking good and relaxed. But I don't know. It just felt. Very, very nice. And you know, we went to this uh, hospitality conference, and all, and all the, the kind of people we met there from you know, our friends were there for 25 hours. There was just a, a kind of good buzz about the about the city. But you know, I always find Berlin a bit hard to completely know because you still feel these these whole neighbourhoods. It's a bit like being in New York, saying they're so tribal in the neighbourhoods that you go to. So it's different characters for each of them. But um, I had a great time. And Andrew, as you said, you were at a hospitality, a hotel conference, and and this is, of course, uh, you know, it's it's a major jamboree, but it hasn't happened for a while. And this is really bringing hotel brands uh, and and of course people who are looking to launch properties together with the money, correct? Yeah. So it was interesting, and, and Fiona knows a little bit about the the, the so her house case, and I was interviewing Nick Jones, who's the the founder and, and uh, CEO of uh, Soho House on stage now they have a, an interesting thing they're opening up to 10 so houses a year so they're 35 already and they they intend to expand at a fast pace brighton opens this week copenhagen in a couple of weeks stockholm at the end of the summer and they've changed their business model so instead of them owning a property and kind of doing it all up which cost apparently about 10 million pounds to do now they find a landlord with a cool building and they get them to develop it. They charge them a fee for supplying all the all the furnishes and fixtures, and then they start paying rent. So it halves the, the cost, if not more, of development. So it allows them to move much faster. But he was just saying it's like every every city is contacting him, wanting it. And the strange thing is, is I'm I'm fascinated by how brands grow and, and don't in a way lose their call because you know the list of people wanting to join up in every city is still long. So three to five thousand people sign up as soon as they open a house. And everyone says, oh, you know, the Danes aren't like that. They're not clubby people. Lo and behold, three to 5,000 people on the waiting list as soon as it opens. So he's, he's done a good job at growing the brand and, and kind of keeping it pretty local as well because 80% of the people who go to any club are, are, are local neighborhood people. So interesting. And, but then that's the model throughout the, 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 the conference. It was, that it was people who had buildings, people who had money, hotel brands looking for partners. So you, you, see, this, you see the pointy end of the, of the trade going on there.
Andrew, just before we uh, head back to uh, Emma with uh, the bottom of the hour news, uh, where is the, the heat in the world? Uh, was there a sense uh, talking to, to the delegates who were there, where the focus um, on, on development is? Where, where is the, the smart money and where are the smart developers going? Well, again, it was interesting. A lot of the players were in a European context. Uh, you know, there were people from, from Morocco and from all around. But again, it was just fascinating. It's like I think that developers have this, this, they're forced to in a way. They have to have the long-term view. So what was interesting was that how many people had not lost faith in the city. That when people have been talking about you know, the move to the countryside, you, you thought everyone would be opening ski lodges and, and, and uh, countryside properties. Actually, most of these people had remained committed to the fact that urban cores would, would bounce back fast and quick. And that's still where they're looking for their, their, their development. So the Hoxton Hotel Group, for, for example, all of these hotel groups, they know how to play that urban card and they still believe a new generation is coming back into our city. Um, Andrew, very good uh, to chat to you. Uh, I think we'll uh, be catching up with you, uh, of course, across uh, this week as well. Uh, many time zones uh, in between us, but uh, have a very, very good week. That was our editorial. Uh, so, no, he's the editor-in-chief. I'm the editorial director. <laughs> that was Andrew Tuck uh, back uh, in London. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, uh, Tyler Brule. Uh, I'm here with Fiona Wilson, also Melanie Brock. We're going to be talking a little bit more hospitality moment. But first, Emma Nelson is here with the news. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. John Lee has been named the new leader of Hong Kong, replacing the outgoing chief executive, Carrie Lam. A loyal Beijing supporter, Mr Lee oversaw the violent crackdowns on pro-democracy protests in 2019. The final citizens to be evacuated from the besieged Azovstal steelworks in Mariupol have now left. Ukrainian forces are still battling to keep control of the plant, the last part of the city not under Russian control. The Asahi Shimbun is reporting that in Japan, crowds at major train stations across the country have swelled as much as fourfold compared with a year earlier during Golden Week. In the absence of travel restrictions for the first time since the pandemic hit, crowd levels at the sites were on a par with those recorded in 2019. And a guest at a hotel in Japan has been fined 40,000 yen, that's around 300 euros, for using the kettle in their room to boil crabs. The hotel said the impromptu cooking session caused an odour that was impossible to remove. But the guest had his fine reduced after claiming there were no signs expressly forbidding him to boil his crabs in a kettle. Back to you, Tyler, in Tokyo. Okay, Emma, can you imagine (laughs) if if you could see the faces of both (laughs) Melanie and Fiona right now uh, about that story? And I'm just reading the faces. I think the the suggestion is probably not Japanese. But what what, what would be the evidence, maybe? We were not going to name other countries or, or anything like that, but it just... I, I, I sort of felt the same probably just wouldn't happen. So the, that person didn't get a fine because it was probably too administratively complicated. He actually, on reflection, sounds a bit like my ex-husband, potentially, who is <laughs> Japanese. So I'm not sure, Emma. It could be anybody, but, you know, somebody with a very um, clear sense of self. Maybe, Fiona. Mm. I'm just thinking how awful that would taste, crabs cooked in a hotel kettle. Yeah, what a horrible you, thought. Can, can, you, can, can you imagine? Uh, I, was, uh, Emma, I was up in, um, in the mountains uh, so, so this morning, so I should, I should just say that I was chatting to Fiona yesterday and uh, we, we had a nice, uh, you know, we had, well, not just one glass of rosé, a couple of glasses. Well, first the wine came out and you sort of forget about how they pour wine in Japan you know, in a very 
very, very nice uh, little joint around the corner from our bureau. But I was like, what are these thimbles that they, that they brought out? <laughs> Wine was lovely. Um, but anyway, bought it later. And, uh, and we, we were talking about, you know, all kinds of things. And then I just thought, you know, I just... I have to get back into my my groove here. So this morning, well, late last night, I um, I jumped. I, well, I, first I, I I said to the the front desk is that I want to jump on the train. I'd love to go up to Koryazawa, which you could sort of say is I don't know it's a little bit. I mean, it's very so. One thing, it's it's super close. I mean, you're an hour and twenty minutes by Shinkansen to get there, but it's you could say it's is it like a Vermont? Is it like going up to, you know, maybe the Catskills as well? It's got that kind of feeling. It feels like it could be a sort of Stad if you were in Switzerland, but it's 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 much closer uh, in a way than it would be to Geneva or Zurich. So, and that's been kind of fascinating because one, one of the interesting things, Emma, is that A, we're just off the back of Golden Week, so it was still quite busy up there. Um, and, uh, but it was interesting also talking to a hotelier as well because they said, you know, this is the time as well. Uh, that, of course, the monkeys um, also start to visit um, a little bit more. Um, and so I was just thinking about maybe, you know, I know we like to talk about goats. Um, we always have a goat story or two, but maybe we could be looking for good monkey stories um, out of Japan as well. But I mean, Melanie, there must be there must be enough good mo- monkey story sources for Emma probably, no? What about some deer stories? The land I brought in, that I bought to build my house on in Yatsugatake seems to have a lot of deer. Does that help, Bambi? Ba- no, ba- Bambi, Bambi monkeys. B- Bambi on a plate or... or... <laughs> well, that's what it will be because as part of your house, you then get the license to shoot them. That's the right that you get when you buy the land. So I'll have to learn to take care of Bambi. Take care. Well, it's, it's, uh, but I don't see any monkeys. Give, give Bambi no, you don't a flight jacket. You don't have any monkeys where you are. <laughs> I don't have any monkeys, no. But are, are they a problem? Are, are monkeys... I mean, of course, you know... Obviously, you know we're, we're all familiar with the monkeys hanging out in in the onsen in, in the hot springs, etc. Which I always often sort of think like, does anyone? It looks very cute, but I mean, you know, I would imagine you know a monkey. I think it smells. Well, I was going to say a monkey. I mean, you think about sort of you know the the boiling crab is like sort of like you know monkey bits. Uh, you know. <laughs> I've, I've done that trip to the monkey <laughs> uh, have, and the most terrifying thing is, is uh, there are signs everywhere saying don't look them in the eye so you're like there are hundreds of them so there really there are signs that don't look at them yeah don't don't, don't let them catch your eye well you see you're sort of looking at the ground but wanting to look at them at the and same time and what happens time. if you if you stare well, at I mean, I wasn't going to try and find out but yeah I think they, they're you know they're wild animals and uh yeah, you do see monkeys around in in these hot spring resorts, and I imagine it's been quite quiet for them as well. So they'll it be has... uh, they'll be looking for some action about now. So. Yeah, they're probably probably not not uh, not a lot in 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 the way of of handouts. Anyway, Emma, that's that's just maybe you know another another uh, part of the uh, wild kingdom that we can add to uh, our, our news list. It's on the list. Um, I have looked for Japan. I have <laughs> I've googled uh, Japan monkey, and there's only one thing about a a, a, a monkey queen called Yake, the nine year old macaque. That's right. Now, right. Okay, I'm going to hand this straight back to you. Yep. Because okay, she's, so tell us about, tell, tell us about her. Well, she's, this she's monkey reigning. is the boss. Yeah. This is the reigning <laughs> boss monkey. And I don't know, like, anything about the, the breed or whatever it is, but this monkey is in charge. So it's the matriarch of monkeys. Tyler? Oh, okay, well, we'll, it, have, we'll, have, a, we'll have to. It's have, a bossy Mrs. Watanabe, okay, potentially, we'll, or I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Emma, we're going to go away for a, a short break. I'm sure we'll catch you after the news. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about hospitality. In the meantime, you're listening to Monocle on Sunday. Heston's has, for more than 170 years, been facilitating a good night's rest, a quality that's prioritised by Peter Hornung, founder of sustainable swimwear brand Round Rivers. 
To keep his startup moving, Honang knows he needs quality sleep. To be well rested is my recipe not losing the overall picture. Leading a startup means dealing with daily surprises and challenges. They sum up on an hourly basis and I've experienced that I lose myself in irrelevant tasks just to get rid of those to-dos. Being well rested means for me having enough sleep, daily sport routines, healthy food, meeting my best friends. It gives me freedom and makes me happy. With this relaxed and positive mindset, I'm able to zoom out. I can sort my work and differentiate between relevant and irrelevant topics. I start seeing the bigger picture again and know exactly which topics are essential for developing my business. Head to Hestons.com now to learn more about how a good night's rest helps Peter Hornung and the world's creative and business leaders too. Hestons, be awake for the first time in your life. You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brilly. We're live in Tokyo today. It's uh, just gone uh, 17.37 here uh, in Japan. Uh, 10.37 if you are listening uh, in on the continent uh, and 9.37 uh, in, in London. Uh, Fiona, just uh, before uh, we, we move on to uh, to, to other topics, uh, there is, of course, news this week. And as we were saying, uh, and even before we came on air, uh, talk about, of course, this country you know, re- opening up. Um, you know, I, I was able to come in like many others on a very packed packed flight. Uh, so country is open for business uh, right now. Uh, and there is obviously discussion that uh, there'll be a, a, a next wave, not officially announced yet. But this sort of issue, things are being teased a little bit. And it's, again, uh, something sort of nicely leaked or positioned that they'll open the country probably to tour groups. This is what we're hearing at, at the moment. Now, does this seem a bit strange to you? Or does it, does it, does it make sense on one side? Because if I think when we were going into this, Japan was really focused on premium tourism. They wanted to, you know, the, the whole you know notion of, of what future of travel is going to be. They didn't want any more low end. They didn't want any more cheap package tours. It was this focus, of course, run up to the Olympics as well, five star hotels, uh, and certainly sort of raising the game in terms of, of resorts. And, and, and we saw a lot of properties open around that. Um, so bit of a disconnect when they say first round should be tour groups. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that surprising. I think it would have been difficult for Fumio Kishida, the prime minister, to say we're opening it to these particular countries or it's it's quite awkward to do that. And I think the thing about tour groups is it's a bit more manageable. You know, they can keep an eye on the numbers, where they're going. And it's all about just seeing what is, you know, partly what's going to be the reaction in terms of infection numbers. Is it going to make a big difference once you start bringing tourists back into Japan? So I think it's a sort of manageable way of doing it. I mean, they're not saying what kind of tour groups. I mean, you know, there are premium tour groups as well. So it it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, massive groups of people who won't spend any money. I think it's it's more about, you know, we know exactly who these people are, where they come from, we can monitor a bit more easily. That would be my guess, yeah. Um, maybe it's a perfect transition uh, to uh, introduce our next guest. Uh, Masuki Kinoshita is the Chief Creative Officer at uh, Trunk Hotels, uh, a, a well, I guess on, on, on one side, uh, a bit of a brand name uh, with, within the neighborhood, within Tokyo uh, as well. Uh, Two properties, a trunk house uh, has also opened. And and Fiona, we're going to also have another trunk literally 
I mean, I think our office will be in the shadow of the new hotel when it when it opens. Uh, but uh, Matthew, very, very good to see you. Welcome. Hi, Tyler. Thank you for having me in the program. It's nice to see you. Good to see you. Uh, listen, uh, so much of our, of our discussion has been about uh, the, the, the hotel industry, where things are. Uh, so on one side, yeah, as you probably have, have, have heard, uh, the sense that maybe the Japanese enjoy this moment uh, where you know, the cities, the streets of Ginza are not overrun with tourists, etc., you have to keep hotel rooms full. Uh, you're, you're, and, and I think you very much pitch the hotel, not just at a domestic market, but also bringing in uh, international travelers as well. Are you ready? Are, are you raring to go? Yeah. No, um, for past 26 months, it has, it has been very tough. You know, um, um, it was terrible. Um, but, you know, we're a small uh, boutique hotel, so we're not as bad as the uh, hotel with the you know, 150 rooms, 300 rooms. So it was okay, but, uh, you know, our main source of revenues uh, comes from weddings. So, which was uh, which was really bad, but, uh, you know, fortunately the government didn't put restriction on, on weddings that much, uh, as much as the, uh, much, as much as the restaurants. So, so that was a good thing. So we were able to have uh, have weddings, but the number of the number of the attendees have uh, uh, got less than it used to be before. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, overall it was tough. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting point. So of, of course, Fiona, I mean, you, you know, you will know because and, and Melanie was making the point uh, a little bit earlier that there was guidance and and there couldn't be legislation. But of course, you know, we've had two years of, of many countries around the world. No, no proper funerals, no proper weddings, you know, no, no nothing. Um, so it's interesting to hear that weddings were allowed to, to go ahead. So is that a little bit this sort of this maybe sort of spongier layer where there is room to, yeah, I, you know, I guess, sort of take your own decision as to what would be appropriate? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, there were some restrictions, but I mean, we're talking about baseball games where, you, you know, the cap was, was, was still pretty high. But no, I mean, I heard lots of people talking about weddings. And it, in a way, it's quite interesting that you know, style of wedding is maybe shifting a bit as well as we've been talking about the style, you know, the way people are working, mm -hmm. perhaps Massa can say yeah, a bit yeah, more about uh, that. You know? Yeah, so obviously, uh, definitely the number of uh, attendees uh, are getting smaller and smaller, which is a big problem uh, for us. And also, uh, you know, you know, outside weddings, like if you go to like a mountain resort or by the sea, you know, I think those are getting re very popular as well, rather than the big uh, big weddings in the in the hotel uh, banquet rooms, yeah. And uh, so it's uh, as as Fiona mentioned, it, I think it's changing. Yeah. So uh, and one more thing I want to point out that during the COVID, uh, uh, government uh, actually did put restriction on uh, for a couple months that we are not allowed to serve alcohol in weddings. So um, so we were like, oh no, you know, not great for the margin. Uh, it's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, but there, you know, we were really fortunate and really uh, think uh, thanks to the guests. But you know, they actually had the weddings without alcohol, and they seem very happy. So yeah. just uh, maybe rewind. Uh, many readers uh, and listeners as well uh, will be, of course, uh, familiar uh, with the brand. And of course, we've we've done some nice uh, events with you. Uh, and I can really sort of think back to. A very nice Christmas party that we had in in 2019, which yeah. is great that we actually used the chapel, but yeah, we sort of yeah. turned it into a bit of a Christmas. That was the last time we were in, in, in Tokyo. Right? No, no, was, I snuck in once, oh, once, okay, okay. once after that as well. But uh, but yeah, that was probably the, the last sort of big big event that we did. But you have an event this week. It's going to be five years um, for for the property. So tell me, you know, 
if we go back five years and just tell us a little bit about the trunk brand, because you, as I said, you've got a new property, which is coming as well. Where, where do you see yourself in the market? And do you think mm-hmm. you have an, well, a unique opportunity or are you going to change the pitch when Japan properly reopens uh, to mm-hmm. everyone again? Um, are you shifting your strategy a little bit? Yes, we are. Uh, definitely. Uh, so, uh, we want to be the pioneer of the uh, boutique hotels uh, in Japan. Uh, it has always been, uh, the leaders has always been the uh, domestic Japanese, uh, very traditional hotels or the international operators. So, you know, I mean, you know, made in Japan, it's, it's uh, I think it'd be a brand, you know, so it'd be a good brand. So, you know, we would like to be a, uh, you know, uh, open uh, boutique hotels, uh, uh, many of them and then uh yeah um so and um also we're actually uh, so we, our plan was to uh master this so the the, the property so we, we were actually owning the the hotels but uh, in order to uh hedge the risk so we're going to change that to a, a more like a, a management, management, model? management model yeah so, yeah and we we will have a a, a financial uh, supporter uh, sponsor, uh, so that uh, yeah, so we can uh, quickly develop the hotels without taking much risk. Okay, so there's there's one in the pipeline, which is going to be as I said just just around the corner in in Tomigaya. Mm-hmm. Uh, that opens in 23. When's that coming? Yeah, out? next year, 23 uh, August or September. Okay, yeah. so okay, so that's I mean, this is going to be very difficult for me because. Yeah, I, you, know, you and I go back to, of course, uh, the the older, bigger group that, that you worked at. <laughs> um, and I'm rather sort of uh, stuck in room 4701 at the Park Hyatt. But the thing is, this is going to be, Fiona, what is it? It's literally, it's, it's seven steps from your desk oh, where yeah, the new property yeah, is. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we will be regulars. I've already checked out the uh, F&B arrangements. Uh, I like the look of it. And great architecture as well. Very interested in the architecture. And it's got a nice kind of the wooden furniture. And it's, it's right by Yoyogi Park. So um, it's a great spot. And why well, did you find there was just there was a gap um, in that stretch of Tommy Guy? Because obviously the area is certainly booming, but there actually there aren't that many properties around there. I mean, you've got Shibuya around the corner, but even still, it's a bit of a a dead zone there, isn't it, for hotels? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great location right in front of the Yogi Park, but there are no hotels, so you know there should be one. So yeah, there you go. Now, just tell us, um, as you said, you've got uh, obviously looking at more of a management model. Uh, maybe you can't give away too many secrets, but when you talk about wanting to expand and grow, how, how many how many properties? I mean, does you see the brand? You know, are you talking uh, at least you know, seven or eight properties? Because that that is the problem with boutique, isn't it? Because on one side you can define boutique by yes, the size and the intimacy mm-hmm. and the design. But also boutique does mean a level of exclusivity. You can't do too many hotels either. Right, so it's right. a bit of a, t- now of course, Japan is not a small market. Uh, so you could probably get away with a few more in Tokyo and, and elsewhere. But do you see it city focused, but, but also going for a bit of, as you're talking earlier, but a resort approach as well? We do resort as well. I was in uh, uh, Niseko a couple months ago and uh, in Okinawa uh, a few weeks ago too. And, you know, I mean, in in Japan, uh, you know, mountain resort or, or or the beach resort, you know, very traditional still. You know, we want some some something more different with more excitement. Well, we'd like the swimming pool to be open for more than one month. I mean, this is this is the, this is the one amazing thing how Japan has this swimming season. I mean, already you could have been in the pool today, but of course, pools are not open. It was it was certainly warm enough. So. When you think about that, is it also sort of modernizing just what the offer is? So it's just yeah. less 
strict and, and maybe not governed by so many codes uh, that, exactly, of course, are exactly. very prevalent. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. So by uh, 20, uh, 2030, we will probably making, uh, so we'll be making an official uh, release uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, but uh, by 2030, we'll be uh, developing uh, up to 20 hotels uh, in Japan. You heard it here first before the official announcement. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 and and that, that's national, so up, up and down the country. That's national, but yeah, and uh, there's a chance that we go international as well. Okay. Yeah. Fiona, we're, we've been waiting for something new in, in Okinawa, haven't we? we? We've always been saying, great place to go, very domestic. Um, aside, of course, that you have uh, all of the U.S. bases there and, and, and of course, uh, people holidaying there from from the U.S. forces and their contractors, uh, but you know a wonderful setup. But again, a little bit t- too traditional at times. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been so many times to Okinawa and many different islands, and it always strikes me you've got the, the sort of raw materials for an amazing beach resort, but no one's done one yet. Um, you know, there are these you know big brands, and they're doing a, a good job, and you know, obviously, it does very well. But I think there's a huge gap for for many people who want to experience something that is more Okinawa and a bit more relating to the culture and, and you know, absolutely just a smaller scale as well and, and relaxed. That's the other thing. I mean, the last time I was there, I mean, I guess it would have been in about November, but it's very warm even then in Okinawa. And I decided to go for a swim and I was almost wrestled out of the water by a beach attendant whose main job seemed to be to stop me getting hypothermia, um, which wasn't going to happen. But I think that, you know, that beach culture just hasn't quite taken off here yet. So... Over to you. <laughs> yeah, um, Matthew. Just before we go to a break, I just wanted uh, to to ask you. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about you know on one side, yes, uh, you know, things things have moved, and there's been sort of a level of uh, yeah, of, of course, Japan Japanese society being more open throughout. But yet, it's still you know, as I said, it still feels very quiet in in, in a pleasant way. But of course, you know, people need to run their izakayas and they need to run their karaoke bars. And you and I have had some late nights um, in this in this city in the past. When do you think the turning point will come that you see the nighttime economy of Ginza bouncing back, that Shinjuku comes back? What's it going to take uh, from from your view? Because you're in it every day. Yeah. um, um, So actually, the local restaurants are quite busy already now by local people. I, I try to book restaurants, I mean, uh, popular restaurants, uh, you know, a few days in advance. I, I just can't. I mean, it's just uh, people actually eating out. Yeah. So, um, but the international, so. But I'm, I'm sort of yeah. maybe at 10 o'clock. I said, like I said, it really feels like last night was Saturday night, nice weather, but it was quiet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so people, what's, you know, I mean, of course it will come back, but do you, yeah. do you feel it's, six months or or is it going to just you know the masks go away then yeah. boom it's going to come back or you know you're japanese you've lived overseas yeah, yeah. you're in hospitality yeah. what's the what, what will be that trigger moment do you think? yeah yeah tyler you're right uh, i said people dine out but you know they go to one restaurant and they, they go home they don't go you know we we you know like restaurant skipping but, but you know but hopping you know but so i, I think that's gonna return you know probably in six months when international travelers come back, you know, then then it becomes normal. Mm. But 
back to normal. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we hope six months, if not sooner. And I, I'm I'm going to try to sort of push it forward this week. I mean, listen, you've got <laughs> you you've got a party on 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 Friday night, so so maybe we'll, this can be the starting point. Maybe we can see what happens. You know, yeah. a, after the drunk party. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Very very good. Well, listen. Um. Good luck, of course, uh, with uh, with the new projects. But uh, Masuki Kinoshita, uh, Chief Creative Officer of Trunk Hotels. Uh, thanks for joining us. You're uh, listening to Monocle on Sunday. We're going to go away for a very short break, uh, and uh, we'll catch up right after this. You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. We're in Tokyo. I'm with Fiona Wilson. Also, Melanie Brock uh, has just uh, come through the double doors uh, here uh, in the studio. We're in the heart of, is this, I guess this is Jingumai. It's Harajuku border borders. More Jingumai, Fiona? I mean, the address is Jingumai. Yeah. I think anyone who knows it, uh, yeah, yeah, Harajuku, I think, for people who uh, yeah. don't it's, know it's, Tokyo it's, so well. So listeners, if, if you know where the big United Arrows is, um, then we're just we're just up up the corner uh, from there. And you know, that's what the really interesting thing about is just also just, yeah, just really being out there in the last 24 hours, just trying to like have a bit of a reset, just mm. trying to remember all of these things. Oh, God, I remember that store and I've got to go here. And uh, so it's... Uh, what did you want to have to eat? What was the first thing you wanted to have? Well, I went to I went to a restaurant last night, and it, and it's a restaurant I've chosen not to name. I've never put in a column, and uh, it's a great little Italian. I'm not going to I'm, I I won't say because um, I don't want it to be um, to be overrun. And it was and it actually as as um, Masuki was saying, it was packed last yeah, night. It was go. it was absolutely yeah. packed. You know the place, Fiona. You know the place as well. Uh, so it was great to go there, and uh, I always like a little bit of Italian. I will say where we are going tonight because oh, I love. Yeah. I have been waiting. I have. <laughs> It, it, it's, it tends to be a bit of a, it's a, a Tyler uh, Melanie <laughs> moment, but uh, but yeah, Apia Alta, which is uh, a wonderful, wonderful place in, in Nishiazabu. And, uh, but it's so Japanese, isn't it, in many ways? Yeah. You know, the... It couldn't be more Italian on one side, but yep. you have all of these waiters in their gray jackets and their bow ties. With and the trolleys. With the, the best lineup of trolleys of, of fish and meats and pastas and everything. And, from all uh, over Japan. Yeah, no, it, it's mm. great. We always have to interrogate where, where the fish came from. But, um, and yes. also the interesting people there, Tyler. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Fiona, it is, it is kind of remarkable. That's, that's the one thing. When you go to many cities in the world as well, but when you, you, you find these particular restaurants. But, you know, and of course, I don't know who any of these people are, mm. but... They're always like, you know, interesting, you know, Ashantus, you know, who uh, was was big and a chart topper in Japan in the 60s. And and then someone else is is a king of maybe the the Japanese nightlife underworld. And then you've got then there's and there's always just very interesting gentlemen with gorgeous women. Very, very well dressed. Gorgeous, lovely bags. Yeah, you want to know the stories of those people, don't you? You see, that's it's I one know. of those kind of rationals. Although at the moment, I find I'm I'm just doing so much people watching, you know. Yeah. Even but yeah. and, but that's, you know, it's, it's the one that is one restaurant though as well where you go and we where people are sort of up for it in that restaurant totally. too. So you you always end up having conversations with other tables, etc. Which you know, oftentimes you know you, doesn't really happen in a lot of restaurants in Japan, but everyone mm. sort of joins in a little bit yeah, too. Yeah, there's a bit of a chat. Yeah, because I, I think everyone's a little bit curious as to what's going on in there. Yeah, they're probably wondering who are you. Well, you know? <laughs> could be. I always tell them. Yeah. <laughs> He's a prince. Well, yeah, and and ho well, hopefully as well. That uh, well, it, it, just going back to the point as well. This is another restaurant, not easy to get a table. So, so Absolutely. in that sense, so it's yeah. it, it, it's kind of, it is fascinating to watch. Of course, yeah, how important the domestic economy uh, is. Mm. Um, and I do have to say, speaking of the economy remarkable i mean I, I had to park some of the bags before i came here i mean the yen is so low at I the moment know. so it's a shopping 
extravaganza well, you know, time. And it, and it means that it's, I mean, you know, the, the Bank of Japan and the governor has said it's not necessarily an issue for Japan, but I think it's a huge issue for Japan. It also leaves Japan massively exposed in terms of, you know, um, activist investment that Japan might not be. So keen on. Absolutely, for very yep. good reason. Um, and so more and more, I think people are having to look at what that all means um, and where they park their um, cash that they have on their balance sheets. Mm. And I was going to say that you know, this is interesting, I mean, a, a nation of still enormous savings as well. But on one side, this is, you know, we, we saw, of course, you know, Japanese families, foundations, you know, in, you know, we think back 30, 40 years, all of the investment that happened overseas. When the Japanese aren't out in the world, they're not really sort of spot, spotting the nice hotels and things, those assets that, that used to be in Japanese hands. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, you know, we were talking about travel, but travel has suddenly become much more expensive for China. Japanese people. So that's another issue. And you're absolutely right. You know, the, the governor of the Bank of Japan been saying no problem you know we're an export economy but actually there are many other aspects that it is impacting quite heavily well i was going to say as well that was that was the remarkable thing speaking about travel and domestic travel you know last time i was here you never had planes approaching over the city so just here here we are um in you know in harajuku and you've got these double lanes of aircraft uh, approaching which is a completely new thing to see aircraft all on the, approach of the city all for, all the, olympics, for right? the olympics the second runway i think it was but, you know, I don't know what the load factor is on those flights, but they come in between three and seven. It and has to do with the winds because it is quite windy today. So, yes, they had to sort of spin, spin the spin the runway around, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, spin the approach around, I should say. Yeah, I don't know that they've got to the runway spinning type of situation, <laughs> but they will, they will, Tyler. You know, they're very innovative. But, yeah, I think that the whole, um, you know, Japan, I know in Australia there's been a lot of M&A um, activity but potentially not as much as there might have been simply because people haven't been able to travel. And so the decisions that are made by CEOs and that C-suite just haven't been made, so now people are out. Well, let's see if uh, mm. the Japanese uh, venture out uh, with pockets full of yen. Maybe we'll have to look at the valuations as well. We have to leave it there. Melanie, fantastic to see you. So lovely to have you back. Yeah, Melanie Brock, uh, also our Bureau Chief, uh, Fiona Wilson. That's all we have time for today's edition of Monocle on Sunday. Uh, Masayuki Kinoshita was also here from Trunk Hotels. Of course, Andrew Tuck was in London and Emma Nelson as well. Our producers were Emma Nelson, Desiree Bandley over in Zurich, Marcus Yippe as well. Nora Hall has been looking after uh, the audio back in London and Takashi Akaku has been doing that here for us in uh, Tokyo. I'm Tyler Berlay Monocle on Sunday is back next week in Zurich. Have a good week. Goodbye.